The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, good morning. I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here at Westway Christian Church, um, and I'm really grateful that you are uh, here with us today. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it to Judges chapter 17 and 18. We're in that final stretch uh, through the last five chapters or so of the book of Judges. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you, but you can also follow along on the YouVersion app, which is a free app. We have an event lined up for there. All the verses that we're going to talk about are, are in, that, um, in that app for you this morning. So we have been talking about Judges now for the past nine or ten weeks. And the first few weeks we talked about, it was kind of an intro. It was like Judges chapter 1, 1 through 3, 6. And the big question was, are the people going to obey? They've come out of slavery from Egypt. They're entering into the promised land. And the question is, are they going to obey? Are they going to pay attention? Are they going to do what they're supposed to do? Well, you know what happened over the next 13 or 14 chapters? There's this cycle that begins. Rather than obeying what God calls them to do, the Israelites do evil, and God allows because he loves them. Like this is maybe kind of a strange concept for us. But because God loves them, he allows the consequences of their choices to bear their weight upon them. He allows their conse- the consequences of their choices to bear the weight upon them. And they, people cry out to God, asking for deliverance. And God sends a judge or a judge comes to deliver them. Again, because he loves them. He does this in perpetuity over these number of chapters. And despite Israel's refusal to obey, because God is faithful, which we just sang about, because God is faithful, he is sending judges to them to deliver them, prophets to call them back, telling them, this is who you are, this is what I've done for you, reminding them of who they are, who their identity is. And this is because of God's compassion and his mercy. And that's something that I hope you will be able to grasp if you have not yet figured that out. So many of us go through life, we go through our Christian walk, and we think it's something that we have to do. It's something that we have to attain. It's something that we have to achieve. We have to be good, and if we're not good, God doesn't love us. But that's not why God pursued the Israelites, and it's not why he pursues you. He doesn't pursue you because you're perfect. He pursues you because you're not. And he loves you in the midst of that. And now we're in these last several chapters here, and I've just called the last part of this next week, this week and next week, I've just called it the wages of sin. And we see what happens when chaos, death, and destruction reign. My hope is that not only that you read 17 and 18 this week, but I hope you read through the end of the book. So you can kind of see how these texts uh, match up together. Over the past several weeks, we've got a taste that says the Israelites did evil. And we ask that question, like, well, what does that mean? What does it mean they did evil? And we kind of get this nebulous answer that they, they worshipped the Baals and they worshipped Asherah poles. And, like, we don't really have a frame of reference for that. Like, what could be so wrong in that? Well, thankfully, we have the last five chapters to tell us what evil means defines for us. 
But as we've talked about, the book's not linear in order. And here's what that means. That's what I mean. Here's what this means. It doesn't start at the beginning and end at the end. At the end. It's not a progression like where the Israelites sort of started off bad and then with each new judge that comes in and each new situation, it seems like it's getting worse and worse and worse and it finally culminates in the last five chapters of the book. That's not what's happening in the book of Judges. There are a lot of cues actually in the last few chapters that we're going to talk about that, that remind us of that. But that's important for us to understand because sometimes we think that, that evil starts like there's a kind of like an insignificant sin. We maybe make an insignificant sin. We make an insignificant bad decision and we think it's not going to be that big of a deal. But we know that that sets us apart from God and it sets us apart from one another. And we're going to see what that looks like. Let's read Judges chapter 17. You can follow along in your Bible or on your app. There was a man named Micah who lived in the hill country of Ephraim. One day he said to his mother, I heard you place a curse on the person who stole 1,100 pieces of silver from you. Well, I have the money. I was the one who took it. The Lord bless you for admitting it, his mother replied. Like, that's a good thing if you're a parent, right? Thanks for admitting what you did was wrong. This next part, not so much. He returned the money to her and she said, I now dedicate these silver coins to the Lord. Again, sounds like it's good. In my, the honor of my son, I will have an image carved and an idol cast. So when he returned the money to his mother, she took 200 silver coins and gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image and an idol. And these were placed in Micah's house. Micah set up a shrine for the idol and he made a sacred ephod and some household idols. We heard that word before, didn't we? Then he installed one of his sons as his personal priest. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. One day, a young Levite who had been living in Bethlehem in Judah arrived in that area. He had left Bethlehem in search of another place to live. And as he traveled, he came to the hill country of Ephraim. He happened to stop at Micah's house as he was traveling through. Where are you from? Micah asked him. He replied, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Stay with me here, Micah said, and you can be a father and a priest to me. I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year, plus a change of clothes and your food. The Levite agreed to this, and the young man became like one of Micah's sons. So Micah installed the Levite as his personal priest, and he lived in Micah's house. I know the Lord will bless me now, Micah said, because I have a Levite serving as my priest. You can kind of see where this is going to go, right? An easy way for us to read and study the Bible is look for repeated words and phrases. And there have been a lot over the last 17, 16 chapters. One of the phrases up to this point, it's been repeated six times, is this. The people did evil in the sight of the Lord. That was the theme that was the theme that described that middle section of the book of Judges. The people did evil in the sight of the Lord. And we might be reading this and we might ask a question like, what's so wrong about doing evil in the Lord's sight? Like, I don't even believe in the Lord, right? I don't believe in God. Why does it matter whether or not I do what's wrong in his sight? We might even ask the question, who is God to set those standards? 
Where did those, who, like where do those rules and regulations all come from? What gives God the right to tell me how to live my life? It's easy to sit here a few thousand years later, right, and look back and just think, oh, that's, that's so quaint, the Ten Commandments. That sounds like such a wonderful way that we ought to live. So, so we say, who cares what God thinks? I want to do what I want to do, which is the new phrase for the next five chapters. In those kings, Israel, or in those days, Israel had no king. Don't misunderstand, it's not just talking about a human king. It's talking about God as king. And if we were to read through the next several books of the Bible together, it would take a really long time this morning. We would miss Turkey tonight. But what we would see is that even when the people had a human king, they were still disobedient. In fact, the human kings were just as bad as the people. So this phrase, in those days, Israel had no king, it's repeated four times, and twice it has this little qualifier in it that's so important. It says, all the people did whatever seems right in their own eyes. We're living that today, aren't we? Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. A few weeks ago at our grandparenting summit that we, that we watched, Josh Mulvihill said that, that that's the most popular religion of the day. And here's, here's the definition. Self is God. Myself is God. I am God. Happiness is the goal. And feelings are the guide. Again, like, doesn't that sound familiar to us? Like, scroll through social media for more than three and a half seconds. And you're going to see that that's how people are living their lives. And it has been absolutely wrecking the Israelites. And frankly, it wrecks us. We're living the fruit of that right now. Another one of the speakers, a guy named Jonathan Stone Street, said this. He said, doing whatever is right in your own eyes is like being in the wilderness with a compass that only points to you. Think about that for a moment. What would it be like to be in the wilderness with a compass that only points to you? Several years ago, when, I was, when we were in Illinois, we took students hiking in western North Carolina. Middle of nowhere for six and a half days. It was awesome. But we had a compass... We had a map, and at the beginning of the day, what you would do is you would, you would lay out this map, and you'd get this special kind of compass, and you'd orient it towards north so you knew where you were going. Well, we have those kinds of things on our phones. Technology's been a little bit of a bane of my existence today, so I'm hoping this works. So I'm going to plug this in, and you'll be able to see this on the screen, and the orientation will be a little bit strange for you on the screen here. Uh, okay, there we go. Okay. Now, I want to make sure that, like, this is the orientation of the compass. Now, what's interesting is this compass is, for me, it's, it's pointing over there as north. So let me ask a question. 
How many of you know what direction north is and point to it? That's actually north. So we have to ask this question, and I asked this question when I originally like, got this phone case, like, why is, why is it telling me north is wrong? Well, here's what you don't know, and I've since learned about my phone case. It has a little magnet at the top of it. And what's happening is that magnet is messing with the orientation of true north. Can you imagine what it would be like for me to be in the wilderness with this as my compass? Do you know how lost I would be? That's like one of those things that gets put on Discovery Channel, right? Like when they find my corpse 20 years from now. See, when we do whatever is right in our own eyes, it's like having a compass in the wilderness that only points to us. We are true north. And the issue is, is that ain't north. But a compass of self isn't all for Micah. We've, we've talked about this again over the past few weeks. Like it's not enough for, for Micah to just do his own thing. What he has to do is he hires a priest from Bethlehem. By the, that's, like not, that's not a coincidence. We're being, we're being cued towards something in the story of the Bible when we read that there's a priest from Bethlehem. Maybe you've heard of him. His name's Jesus. We're going to talk about him during the month of December. So this is coaching us to think about something. And basically, Micah wants this priest to give him God's seal of approval on his life. So I know that way ain't north. I want to go that way. And then what I need from a priest and the way our culture works, I need all of you to affirm in my life that that's north. Like, I don't care what my compass, like, I don't care about reality, right? What I need you to do for me is tell me that's north because that's north. I'm going that way. And he uses a priest to do it. Remember the shirt? Button number one is wrong because I'm my own identity. And then I'm going to keep buttoning the shirt up because I'm going to have someone else affirm my false identity. And it's going to be a priest. It's going to be someone who's who's supposed to speak for God. Paul warns Timothy about people like this. This is 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 5. Again, if you have this in you version, it's all in there. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when it comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. That's Timothy's job. That's the job of a priest. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. 
They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Come on, that's north. Pastor, that's north. Christians, that's north. They'll reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. One of the verses, I want to focus on verse 3. The last part, they'll follow their own disasters, desires, own disasters too. They'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. We have this cat, maybe I've told you about our cat before. The cat hates everybody. But the weird thing is, when she wants her ears scratched, what she'll do is she'll just go find someone to scratch her ear. You'll scratch for a second, and then out of nowhere, she will hiss, put her claws out, and get your hand. See, a lot of times, a lot of people are like these, like our cat. We'll go whatever itches our ears, right? That's north. I need you to tell me, I need you to like affirm me. Make me feel good. I've had a lot of new people here at Westway over the last six or eight months, and it's really been cool to see. I overheard one of them recently talking about this criteria she had when she was looking for a church. And I'd heard that word, and I was like, that's really interesting. So I reached out to her and said, hey, I would love to sit down with you for as long as it takes and for you to tell me, like, what, is that, like, what does that mean that you have criteria that you're looking for a church? So we sat down, and this is what she said. She said, number one, they open their Bible. Like the pastor opens his Bible. And then she said, that might seem weird to you, but I watch churches where the pastor never opened their Bible. Do they read from it versus paraphrasing it for context and accountability? Do they preach from it? Do they continually refer back to the passage and, and what's going on, or are they kind of going down their own rabbit trail of the text? Is it a, this is what God is teaching us, or this is the opinion of the person doing the teaching? They teach the whole counsel of Scripture, and here's what that means. Like, when they read through the book of Judges, they read all of it. Is it legalistic, or is there loving accountability? And, and here's what I want to tell you. If you're one of those people, and you're maybe still trying to figure out, like, where you should go to church, um, that's a pretty good list. In fact, I would say, back to the shirt analogy, that's probably a good first button. When you're putting your shirt on, you want to get that bottom button right. That's a pretty good list. And there are lots of other things that matter. There are lots of other things that are important. But those things are the bottom button. 
They're the things that matter the most. And I think, honestly, that's why some, some, some of you, maybe, are never happy in a church. Because what you've decided your thing is in looking for a church is like way up here. And it's the music, important, it matters. Children's ministry, do we have programming for kids? Those things are important, those things matter. Does the pastor keep his shoes on when he teaches? Like, those things matter. But the reason some of us are unhappy when we're looking for a church is we don't know what we're looking for. We have convinced ourselves that, that things like theology, things like teaching from scripture, like we've convinced ourselves that those things don't matter. And instead it's like more about how, how maybe how I feel, how the person speaking or teaching makes me feel. And I would submit to you, um, you're telling me that that's north in that situation. Let's go back to Micah for a minute. I love the closing verses or verse in chapter 17. I know the Lord will bless me now because I have a Levite serving as my priest. Of course God's going to bless me. I read my Bible. Of course God's going to bless me. I pray. Of course God's going to bless me. I go to church. See what's happening with Micah? He's, his orientation is wrong. He's made it about himself. And what he's asked this priest to do is to affirm him, to give him everything he wanted. Because after all, like he's doing the things he's supposed to do, which we started at the beginning of today by talking about it wasn't about God didn't save them because, of, because the people were so good. God didn't save them because there was so much potential. God saved them because he was compassionate and merciful towards sinners who needed him. And what Micah thinks is, if I can just do the right things, if I can just orient my life properly, if I can have a priest, if I can have a religious person affirm my choices and decisions, I'm going to be right with God. Well, you know, let's see how that works out for him. Let's continue. This is chapter 18. Now in those days, Israel had no king. There it is. There's your theme. And the tribe of Dan was trying to find a place where they could settle, for they had not yet moved into the land assigned to them when the land was divided among the tribes of Israel. Press pause. Remember, the people enter into the promised land. God, through Joshua, tells them, you're, this tribe, you're going to go here. This tribe, you're going to go there. This tribe, you're going to go there. Go. The Danites didn't do that. When these warriors arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, they came to Micah's house and spent the night there. While at Micah's house, they recognized the young Levite's accent. We've seen that before, haven't we? So they went over and asked him, who brought you here? And what are you doing in this place? Why are you here? He told them about his agreement with Micah and that he had been hired as Micah's private priest, personal priest. Then they said, ask God whether or not our journey will be successful. See how this works? Go in peace, the priest, priest replied, for the Lord is watching over you on your journey. 
So the five men went on to the town of Laish, where they noticed the people living careful lives, carefree lives, like the Sidonians. They were peaceful and secure. The people were also wealthy because their land was very fertile, and they lived a great distance from Sidon and had no allies nearby. When the men returned to Zorah and Eshtuel, their relatives asked them, what did you find? The, reply, the men replied, come on, let's attack them. We've seen the land, it's very good. What are you waiting for? Don't hesitate to go and take possession of it. When you get there, you'll find the people living carefree lives. God has given us a spacious and fertile land lacking in nothing. So the 600 men from the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, sent out from Zorah to Eshtoel. They camped at the place west of Kiriath, Jerem, and Judah, which is, which is called Manahadan to this day. Then they went on from there into the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. The five men who scouted out the land around Laish explained to the others, these buildings contain a sacred ephod, as well as some household idols, a carved image, and a cast idol. What do you think we should do? Then the five men turned off the road, went over to Micah's house where the young Levite lived, and greeted him kindly. As the 600 armed warriors from the tribe of Dan stood at the entrance to the gate, the five scouts entered the shrine and removed the carved image, the sacred ephod, the household idols, and the cast idols. Meanwhile, the priest was standing at the gate with the 600 armed warriors. When the priest saw the men carrying all the sacred objects out of Micah's shrine, he said, what are you doing? Be quiet and come with us, they said. Be a father and priest to all of us. Isn't it better to be a priest for an entire tribe and clan of Israel than for the household of just one man? The young priest was, happy to go, was quite happy to go with them, so he took along the sacred ephod, the household idols, and the carved image. They turned and started on their way again, play, placing their children, livestock, and possessions in front of them. When the people from the tribe of Dan were quite a distance from Micah's house, the people who lived near Micah came chasing after them. They were shouting as they caught up with them. The men of Dan turned around and said to Micah, what's the matter? Why have you called these men together and chased after us like this? What do you mean, what's the matter? Micah said. You've taken away all the gods I have made and my priest, and I have nothing left. Isn't it funny how his identity completely falls apart when someone else no longer affirms him? The men of Dan said, watch what you say. There are some short-tempered men around here who might get angry and kill you and your family. So the men of Dan continued on their way. When Micah saw that there were too many for them, of them for him to attack, he turned around and went home. Then with Micah's idols and his priests, the men of Dan came down to the town of Laish, whose people were peaceful and secure. That's the third time they've been described that way. They attacked with swords and burned the town to the ground. There was no one to rescue the people for they lived a great distance from Sidon and from had, had no allies nearby. This happened in the valley near Reth Hoab. Then the people of the tribe of Dan rebuilt the town and lived there. They renamed the town Dan after their ancestor Israel's son, but it had originally been called Laish. They set up the, the carved image and they appointed Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses, as their priest. This family continued as priests for the tribe of Dan until the exile. So Micah's carved image was worshipped by the tribe of Dan as long as the tabernacle of God remained at Shiloh. 
man, there's a lot going on here. I can do it. Did you see the phrase? In those days, Israel had no king. It's important. Did you know this multiple times that the author of Judges talked about the people of Laish? They were described as living carefree lives, people peaceful and secure, wealthy, no allies nearby. That was multiple times. And as I'm reading through this text, I'm like, like what? Like there's something that just seems off here. There's something that's, that's not lining up and I, I can't quite put my finger on it. Like why, why do we keep getting told about these people and they're, and they're living in peace? Like what? And then they attack them and they destroy them and it's, it's unsettling. And we talked about that right at the beginning of the book of Judges, how God's people were supposed to come in and we talked about how they were supposed to lay waste to everybody and that makes us uncomfortable and it should because mass murder is always questionable. Like, what's going on here? So I cheated a little bit. I looked in a little commentary. And it pointed me back to, to Joshua 19. I'm just going to read a couple verses from it. I'm not going to read the whole thing. This is verse, um, actually this is, yeah, 1940 to 48. The seventh allotment of land went to the clans of the tribe of Dan. So remember, your Danites, you're supposed to go here. The land allocated as their homeland included the following towns. Zorah, Eshtuel, Irshemes, Shalabin, Ahilon, Ithla, Elon. I'm going to skip through reading all of those. Um, this town of Laish is not there. Listen to verse 47. But the tribe of Dan had trouble, take, had, take, had trouble taking possession of their land, so they attacked the land of Laish. They captured it, slaughtered its people, and settled there. They named the tan down after their, Dan after their ancestor. Sidebar, here's, here's proof that we're not reading something that starts here and ends here. This little scene in Judges 18, is pretty early on in entering into the land. See, rather than take the land that they were supposed to take with the Lord's help, they took 600 men. That number is important. Remember how many men went with Gideon? 300. See, with 300 men and the Lord on their side, they killed 120,000 men. What this guy has to do is gather up 600 men to kill a whole bunch of people who are innocent. To take this town. And the Israelites weren't supposed to kill everyone. They were only supposed to attack people from seven specific tribes. And according to Deuteronomy chapter 20, when they came upon one of these towns, they were supposed to ask for peace. I know I'm like throwing a bunch of Bible at you right now. But what I, want, what I want you to pick up from this is, like, this is what God's word says. And what I would love for us to do, I would love for us to be the place 
as a church. I would love for you to be at the place as a Christian. Like when you start to wonder what's going on in this text, like you pause for a minute and you do a little bit of research and you read and you study. This whole thing's a mess. Are you seeing that? And I wonder if you caught the identity of the priest. It's the same guy. It's the grandson of Moses. Guy comes from Bethlehem. Micah says, hey, be my priest. A little bit later, the big reveal, it's Moses' grandson. See, sometimes like we might read this story and be like, oh, that priest must have, must have had a really bad teacher. That priest must have come from a bad family. Nope. He came from Moses' family. And I wonder if you remember what we talked about the very first week in this series. Judges 2, verse 10. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. See, that's what's going on here. Is these people are, are living lives of chaos, death, and destruction. And they're living lives that way because, because doing whatever we want to, doing whatever is right in our own eyes, does not lead to gumdrops and lollipops. That's what our culture tells us, isn't it? If we just do like what we think is best, like that's north, because that's north for me. Like I know that a compass tells me that that's north. Like I know the entire earth is oriented around magnetic north. I know that everything in life has been ordered by a kind and loving God with design and intentionality and purpose. But that's north, I mean, for me. Like, if you want, if all of you people want to go north that way, see, doing what's right in our own eyes, it's not gumdrops and lollipops. We're going to read the last three chapters of, of this book next week. And like we, we are coded to think as 21st century people, we are coded to think that if everybody just does what they want, like it'll be Denmark. We'll have free education. We'll have free healthcare. We'll all be driving around in electric cars with wind turbines everywhere and everything's going to be perfect. But that's not what we're gonna read in these last three chapters. These people are in the wilderness and they're pointing to themselves as true north. And here's, here's what I know. There are, there's at least one person in this room today that needs to hear that you are not the center of the universe. At least one. Sometimes I need to be reminded of that, frankly. Like every day when I look at myself in the mirror, I'm like, that dude's not in charge. See, we need to hear that we are not the center of the universe. We need to know that the moral compass of the universe does not point at ourselves. So when we do that, we're living in self-righteousness and not the righteousness that Christ provides for us. And 
Like, somebody needs to hear that in here today. You need to hear that self-righteousness is only going to lead to chaos, death, and destruction. Maybe you've never actually submitted your life to Christ. Maybe you've never actually made, made a choice to put Jesus on the throne in your life. Maybe you've never considered that you haven't done that before. Maybe you've never considered that because, because you come to church and you read the Bible and you pray and you do all of the things that good Christians do, but you've never actually made the choice. This morning I was reading our Bible reading plan and it, Jesus tells this story of two people who go to the temple. One of them is a Pharisee, one of them is a tax collector. And the Pharisee, he's in the temple and this is how he prays. God, I am so thankful that I am not like all of those other people. All of those tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and people who voted for the other guy or gal. I'm so thankful I'm not that person. See, that's a person who's living in self-righteousness. And I would submit to you that if that's your mindset, do I want to say this? Yes. If that is your mindset, it is possible, if not likely, that you've never actually submitted yourself to Jesus Christ. You may have thrown a pine cone in the fire at camp, but you did not submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And here's the other guy, the sinner, beating his chest. God, I'm such a sinner. God, we have mercy on me. That's the guy that is not living in self-righteousness but is pursuing the righteousness of Christ. If you've never made that choice, I would love to have a conversation with you about what it looks like to live your life for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we're here this morning because you love us. There is not a single person in this room or who is watching online or who is going to watch online that is here on accident today. Maybe we came in here with the wrong motive. Maybe we came in here because it's what we do on Sunday mornings. Maybe we came in here because we needed yet another reason to write off the church. Another reason to write off God. to hear one more thing that, that I'm not going to be affirmed, so I'm going to write off the church. God, I pray that you would just, just break our hearts for you. That we would see who you are. Someone who is pursuing relationship with us, not because of our merit, not because of who we're going to be, but because of who we are which is a sinner in need of you. A sinner in need to give up pursuing ourselves and pursue you.
those that are hearing this and like, this is the scariest thing in the world that they would go talk to somebody about no longer being the center of the universe. I pray that you would, you would crush the voice of Satan in their head. And they would hear you. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.